and welcome to the Tron Church Talking Points podcast, a 30-minute conversation in the middle of the week about what we were hearing God say to us at the weekend. My name's Agnes, I'm your host for today, and I'm joined by Phil Copeland, who was not preaching, and Edward Lobb, who was preaching. So, gents, I wonder if we could start off uh, just with a, a general question. What what has struck you? Um, I think let's start with the morning service. What has struck you from from that Genesis sermon on Sunday? I'll go first, shall I? I'll, I'll chip in. Yeah, I think there was so much as usual. It's um, I always think to myself, I must go back and listen to that, and I will uh, throughout the week as the week goes on. But uh, you, could, you could listen to a podcast about. I it. could. Yeah, funnily enough, I helpful. could. Yeah. I'm not sure I will listen to myself, but there we go. Uh, no, the, the great possessions, or the great possessor, and uh, Willie was, uh, he started with that great quote from William Booth, the seat of a man's power, or the greatness of a man's power, lies in the measure of his surrender to the maker. And that was really what Willie brought out in the passage, um, that Abraham was a blessing to the world, to Lot, in restoring him, and that daring rescue, only because he was so heavenly minded. Mm. He was set on the, the, not on the possessions, not on the land, but on the kingdom of God and what God had promised him. And you, you saw that, didn't you, in the, the latter bit of the chapter where he's approached by these two kings. You've got the king of Salem, Melchizedek, uh, God's, God's king, king of heaven, uh, and the king of Sodom. And... Uh, Abraham rightly chooses to decisively reject the king of Sodom uh, and to pay tribute to God's king. Mm. And that, you know, that that was what really brought out the real challenge to us all, is that walking by faith as people of the Lord Jesus, it's if we're to be blessing to others, to be a blessing to the world, the truth, the key lies in our surrender to the Lord and to his promises and living for them and not for the possessions of, of this mm. world. Mm to be detached from this world. Because yeah. um, if, if that's not the case, then we're, we're going to be possessed, we're going to be mm. owned, it's going to have a, a mastery, mm. yeah. a mastery over us, isn't it? Yes. It kind of flips around that, you know that old saying, such and such, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly use. And it just flips that on its head. It's just not say, true, is it? It's just it? not true. And actually, you don't, you don't meet people like that. <clears throat> you know, folks who do mm. have their minds and their... Their direction set set on heaven. They are they mm. are useful and yeah. yes at work. Yep, and especially when it comes to restoring those who are wandering brothers. You know, I love that point. Abraham was truly his brother's keeper, and that he you know when Lot went off and was in trouble, he didn't sit back and bitterly go, oh well, mm. you know he's living with his decisions, and he actually had mercy, and because he was so detached from you know, the possessions of this world, he went after a lot and a costly, daring rescue. It was uh, a real challenge, that, I think. Edward, did you have anything? Yes, um, one thing that struck me very much is the, the verbs that were applied to both Lot in verse 12 and, mm. um, and Abraham in, <clears throat> in verse 13, that Lot was dwelling in Sodom in the sense that he had he'd put his roots down there. He decided in a sense, although he was, he was, a, he was one of God's people, mm. Described, of course, as righteous lot in the New Testament, and yet he had made an unhealthy decision here to to settle in Sodom, and there were considerable consequences to him and his family for doing so. Whereas 
the verb applied to Abram in the next verse is that he was living in a tent, as it were. He was tenting. He was, he was nomadic. So although he had many possessions and so on, he, was, he, he hadn't invested in, in, in that godless town, in that godless way of life. Mm-hmm. He was detached from it because he was on his way to heaven. Yes, he was walking around the, the promised land knowing that it wasn't just about the promised land. He was seeking a, another land, a, the city that has its foundations is laid by the Lord, as mm. Hebrews says. It's a great contrast to have, have in mind, isn't it? Am, am, I a, am I a dweller or am I a camper mm. yes. here? And, um, you know, I'm always thinking about TY and, you know, are they, they're thinking about uni choices. Are they going to be, are they going to dwell in whatever that takes them to? Are they going to, are they going to camp in the profession or the lifestyle or the direction that that, that, that takes them in? Are they going to walk... Uh, trusting in God's promises and seek first his kingdom mm-hmm. and look into that. Mm-hmm. What will give way to what in terms of their deciding? Uh-huh. Will will commitment to church give way to progression in career or uh-huh. the other way around? Are they yes. dwellers or campers? Yep. And perhaps the point is, is brought home even more when towards the end of the chapter, uh, Abram says to the king of Sodom, verse 22, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abraham rich. So that was, a, it almost sounds rude, doesn't it, that he was addressing a petty king like this, but saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with you at that level. Uh, you cannot, as it were, lay a finger upon me and say, I, I possess Abraham in some sense. Mm. So he's keeping himself utterly detached from this man whose name, bearer, means Wickedness. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until I heard the sermon yesterday. Mm-hmm. That yeah. bearer means wickedness yeah. and Melchizedek means righteousness. Mm-hmm. But uh, Abram was presented with this choice of which mm-hmm. of the two kings he was going to, uh, to go with. Mm-hmm. And he decisively rejected wickedness and decisively accepted mm-hmm. righteousness. Uh, which is picked up so wonderfully mm-hmm. in, in the Hebrews mm-hmm. text about Melchizedek. <clears throat> it's the choice we face every day as Christians, which really brought out at the end there it's are we going to submit to the Lord Jesus God's king the king of heaven or are we going to be you know uh, giving our hearts to the things of this world and you know it's that it's just as I said the great contrast between the great possessions mm-hmm. or the great possessor mm-hmm. um, I suppose it's just thinking hard about what, what, what will that look like for me and yeah that's what right what, what, what is it that tangles itself easily around my heart where, mm-hmm. where do I want the honour where do I want the, mm-hmm. the kind of Advancement or riches that the world would mm. would give into. I would praise. Is that is that is that something that's a real temptation yeah. to me? Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess all of these things at different times will probably be temptations to us. Yes. Um, is it going to be money? Mm. Is it going to be like mm. feathering my nest now, making myself really mm. secure here? Is that going to be the thing that yeah. I find it? It, it can even be the, the handing on of possessions to the next generation, can't it? I think of one or two. Think think back in the generations of my own family going back quite a long way now, and how various grandmothers and things would would very carefully catalogue little bits and pieces from the house and even tie labels on them saying, this must be for Edward, or this must be for Edward's well, sister Alice, yeah. uh, so, so that a grandmother getting towards the end of her life <coughs> is very concerned with who gets what mm-hmm. at the end of it all, which mm-hmm. if you're a Christian, well, y- y- mm-hmm. what does that mean? Uh, it, it doesn't really mean anything, does it? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but one can end up like that mm. 
if one isn't careful, if one sell, sells one's soul to, to possessions mm. and so on, that's where it ends up. Yeah, yeah. And it's very sad. It does own you. It do- yeah. <clears throat> so why is it that having that heavenly perspective makes us of earthly use, do we think? What's the, what's the dynamic? Oh, I've created a moment of silence in the podcast there. I mean, I was, I, one, one thing I was thinking is, you know, you, if you have that hope of heaven, this world is not all there is, then actually I can, I can hold things with an open hand. Yeah, I don't need right. to cling on it. But also I can serve and do other things because I know where I'm heading and it's just yeah. such a joyous pro, you know, mm-hmm. progress, a prospect. Uh, of that heaven, I, I can be a I can be a happy warrior. You can be cheerfully yes. dealing with difficult things, um, or hopefully optimistically, yeah. uh, getting on with life. And you you're not you're not going to be such a person who's so inward looking because you're desperately trying to cling on to the things that you've got, and that consumes your life and takes over your your heart, your diary, your time, your your purpose for getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. instead of actually you can pour your time into your brothers and sisters at church, looking out for the ministering to each other, which is what we're commanded to do, isn't it? Especially when a brother or sister in the Lord gets into trouble, just like Lot did. Yeah. Um, you're not going to want to do that, especially if it's, you know, there's a chance that you might lose stuff as a result of pursuing someone, mm-hmm. um, calling them to, you know, repent, maybe saying difficult things to them. Mm. Um for their eternal eternal good and, and love, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, it's, sorry. I wonder if another aspect of it is that when you're a Christian, what happens is that your life becomes increasingly turned away from your own immediate concerns to the concerns of others. Mm-hmm. So you see human need much more. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are, are living as drug addicts or, or, or there's great poverty or there's oppression in some way, if you're able to do something about it, because you're not nearly so concerned for your own needs, mm. you've got a certain energy and a, a, a sense of loving kindness towards other people, which will energise you into helping people in very practical ways like that. Mm. Whereas the, the person who is thoroughly worldly mm. um, is primarily concerned with me and, yeah. um, and my position and my possessions. Will I give some examples of this from history? Right, some people in the church, and I think actually is I can remember... In his book, The Work of a Pastor, William still speaks about this, about some of the giants who've brought around great social action have been themselves Christians, and they've done it because they're so clear on the gospel and their hearts have been so focused on the Lord that they it's moved them to go and start these moves. So, what, can you remember the, some of the people that you mentioned? Um, I think he mentioned Wilberforce, Wilberforce yes. and Shaftesbury, Shaftesbury, who was one of the great social reformers. Mm. And he, he was um, he was the Earl of Shaftesbury, wasn't he? He was a he was a blue blood, but uh, he, he dirtied his dirtied his hands. And Wilberforce also was a kind of blue blood. I mean, he was a Cambridge graduate, and he was a very mm. able person. But he, but he gave himself to this whole business mm. of abolishing the slave trade. Mm. So they sat loose to their their worldly position mm. as as senior and important people mm. in it. In, in politics because they could, that. because they had their eyes on the on the heavenly city. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and wasn't it lovely as well about the uh, what sustained Abram in the moment when he was facing the king of Sodom? Well, it was because he was sustained by the king of righteousness, wasn't he? Melchizedek, who came in mm. the provision of him and 
I love what Willie said there. You know, this is this is not a chapter saying pin your hopes on Abraham and learn from. Well, it is learn from Abraham, but it's not look to Abraham for strength because that would lead to despair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fundamentally look to the one even greater than Melchizedek that we know today, the the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you know, he was. He's thinking of the way in which the Lord Jesus, in the start of the Gospels, when he's faced with the evil one. The evil one, you know, the the one even greater than the king of Sodom, as far as evil goes, and he's tempted, and he's tempted in all those same ways to grasp glory now, to pledge allegiance to Satan now, and he for us he remained faithful, and it's looking to him for strength, uh, and for sustenance, and that was a brilliant, brilliant reminder because I mean listening to the sermon, I'm just thinking prone to wonder yeah. I am mm. and mm. this is hard and I, I feel these mm. temptations really strongly to mm. you know to get glory and to to hold on to things now mm. um, to, to possess mm. rather than to be possessed so just to be reminded that we have a, a great high priest in heaven who's praying for me yeah. who's died for me who gives me his spirit and his power who sustains me tends to me mm. um, just 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 wonderful mm. enables you to to think, oh, okay, let's mm. let, let's carry on, let's do this. I think that's why it's so crucial to be, you know, uh, detached from the world. Really involves being people of the word, people of the word of God, because the word of God is all about our high priest, <laughs> our king, and our God, and um, making sure that we are, just as you said in the evening service, Edward, the willing to be Bible people to the nth degree, and uh, you know. It's, that's why we need to be keep being people of the book, and yeah. I mean that's a, that's a helpful segue if we're thinking about you know how how will I be detached from the world's thinking? What will help me to be detached? To remember to do mm. what is to remember where my hope really lies. What's going to help me? And and obviously just I mean I guess what we're doing just now chatting over the word of God, letting it dwell richly in us, being regularly with God's people, listening to it. Um, and for that, we obviously need true teachers of the word, which is. Um, very much what what Titus was was teaching us in the evening, Edward, and thank you very much for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, f- false teaching is it's not a thing of the past by any means. It's <clears throat> it's pervasive today, isn't it? I wonder yeah. if you could just maybe just give us an example of two of, of of where you see these these things still happening. Yes. Well, I think one of the biggest uh, problems that the churches are facing today is the problem of a teaching, an attitude which suggests that to be a Christian means that you've got it all here and now. Uh, A a book came out some years ago, which I think was called Your Best Life Now. And in a way, that's what some of the more extreme charismatic and and, um, health and wealth gospel churches are saying, that if you follow various rules and stipulations and so on, you can enjoy your best life now. But the Bible puts it entirely the the other way around. Our best life is not now. Um, Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Mm. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But in this world, you will have tribulation. And it's in the world to come that we're promised the total absence of tears, mourning, death, and pain. So to say that somehow you're going to have everything in this world is simply a reversal of of real Christian truth. Mm. Um, but, but that is a very pervasive thing <clears throat> in this country and all over the world. 
And one of the big tasks, I think, of the, of the faithful Christian teacher and preacher today is to help the congregation to mm. see that and to be willing to say to a, to a congregation, it is tough to be a Christian, but we're together. There are great joys in being a Christian. Um, let's stick together and let's also learn from those strong strands in the Bible which hold together joy and affliction. For example, Psalm 119, that great psalm, um, is written by somebody who is going through real affliction, mm -hmm. but at the same time is acknowledging the delight that he has in the Lord mm -hmm. and the joy that he has in the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So for Christians today, we need to realize and teach in our churches that the Christian life is a simultaneous experience of joy and affliction. Mm -hmm. And that even at the times of greatest affliction, you know, we're seriously ill, we're dying, you get to the very end of your life, you can hardly lift your head off the pillow, but you can rejoice at that moment because the Lord has promised you that you're going to be with him. Mm -hmm. And you're on, you're on the verge of Jordan at that point, so you, you, you can lift up your head and rejoice, even though you, can, you can't lift up your head off yeah. the pillow. So I think we've got to, t to, to teach our people this combination of affliction and joy and how to stand for the gospel is going to invite pain to us. And it's obviously going to be tough for a preacher week by week to keep on saying what people don't perhaps want to hear and, and maybe mm. they've, they've found a YouTube channel that tells them something much, mm. um, oh I don't know, well false, but <laughs> apparently better. Mm. Um, and so to be the guy who, who week by week proclaims the truth and mm. sets things straight, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough job, isn't it? It's a tough job and I think we, possibly one of the reasons why some young men start well but don't end up well is that they don't want to have to continue to open themselves to pain, opposition, persecution. Yeah. So they can start well, perhaps they're encouraged by a good strong church like our church mm -hmm. and they're encouraged to, 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 to hold firm to the gospel but they, they get out there in the sticks, they're pastoring mm -hmm. a church, they haven't got the same sort of mm -hmm. support <clears throat> network. And it can become easier just to say gentle things, which are not going to ruffle anybody's feathers. That, 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 that are maybe true in and of themselves, but oh, aren't yes. the whole truth. Yes. Yes, I think that's exactly it. That in, in the churches that have gone liberal, they do preach the Bible at one level. They'll pick out little bits mm. that are gentle and easy. Mm. So they will tend to say the important message is that we love one another. Now, that is an important message. It is part of the Christian life, very much so. But if it's divorced from the whole, um, the whole environment of, of the difficulty of living the Christian life and of being the church militant here in earth, it loses its force and it becomes, it becomes a non-gospel, really. Mm, mm. Um, so to say those easy things may be at one level biblically true, but at a much more important level, they distort the whole message yeah. of the Bible and, and you haven't got the gospel there at all. It's entirely mm. insufficient, isn't it? Yeah. It is, yeah. So what would your advice be for younger preachers, like this young man here? Hello. Phil, <laughs> Hello. Um, for those listening. I like uh, to be called young. Yeah. Wonderful. You like to be called young. Yeah. Um, or, or for potential preachers, because you were very much saying to young guys in the, in the congregation, you know, consider this might this be you what well, what would your advice be what questions should they be asking I think one of the biggest things is the importance of being closely and regularly in touch with others mm. who are of the same feather birds of a feather need to flock together and if our feather is that we're bible people we need to be together so for ministers 
um, especially those who are senior ministers, which is, which is the most exposed and difficult position in the church. They need to get together regularly at conferences mm. to be on the phone to each other, yes. to be sending each other encouraging emails and texts and all that sort of thing, but keeping each other going. Mm. And when they hear that somebody is in their church encountering a real difficulty, they need to pick up the phone and say, brother, how's everything going over there? Is it really tough? He says, yes, it is yes. really tough. And then they talk together about these things. So mm. I think the importance of fellowship is, yeah. is one of the main things there, really. Is that something yeah. you found, Phil? Yeah, I've been very fortunate in the sense that I've been very blessed that I've been able to be part of churches where you are in a team mm. and you're not isolated and alone. And the head head pastor has built up a team around about him to support each other. And there's great friendship there. Obviously, you can't force friendship out of people, but I'm fortunate enough that we have been friends and love each other and uh, care for each other. But I do think of friends I did Cornhill with... Um, and they went to churches, they were on their own, and it was a different story for them, it was hard. And there were people in the congregation who didn't like, you know, what was said from the pulpit. And again, my friends aren't, it's another thing, the young, young ministers, all ministers, being faithful ministers, we're never just saying what we think about things, we're saying what the passage says. <laughs> we're letting the word of God out of, you know, letting the lion out of the cage. <laughs> and uh, that is, that is the thing that, that some of my mates have had kickback against. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but friendship is, again, we've mentioned this before in the podcast before, but it's so important, especially for everyone in life, but especially for those in ministry. Um, friends who will lovingly encourage you to keep on doing the things uh, that this passage in Titus speaks about, you know. Um, I mean, it's not easy to rebuke people. <laughs> it's not, it's not, a, you know, uh, it's not a thing to take great pleasure in or great joy in, but it's hard, but it's, an, I, I was really thankful, Edward, for how you brought that out. It's, this is a key part of what it means to be a pastor or, or in church leadership. It's, I love that little phrase you used, uh, a church minister must be rightly intolerant of, uh, teachings, ideas, ideologies, beliefs that have weeded their way into the church, that defiled the church and are deceptive and empty and because that needs to be silenced because eternity is at stake. Mm. People's eternal future is at stake. And um, But it's not, you're right, it's not easy. I think uh, the temptation is if you're on your own and you're constantly getting beaten down, even if you're a good man, mm. you know, that's no guarantee. <laughs> Every man has his breaking points. You can't be endlessly nice if you're going to be an effective minister. Mm. And this sort of thing starts at a pretty low level. I mean, th mm. think of your typical Bible study group. Think of your, your youth group. Mm. You're studying the Bible together and somebody says something mm. which is patently wrong. Now, if you're leading the group, you need, lovingly, of course, mm. and, and, and carefully, but you need to say, no, that, that's not the right way to understand it. Mm. So you begin to develop, even as a 16-year-old, when perhaps you're first leading a small Bible study group, mm -hmm. you need to start developing the ability to say to your friends who are reading the Bible with you, mm -hmm. no, I don't think you're right about that. Mm -hmm. And then when, when you have greater responsibility later on, mm -hmm. you, you, you'll, you'll be much more likely to have the courage mm -hmm. to say to people in the church, look, this is not right. We must stop this thing and we must, we must launch off in a different direction. So there's, there's a younger generation, isn't there, who need to hear that, who need to know that that's... That's just an element of Christian leadership. It isn't just about delivering sermons. 
um, and planning some meetings, isn't it? There's a real sort of grip there. And I, I guess folks who, well, we, 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 we pray, God, there'll be many new preachers raised up from amongst the Tron congregation, guys who are students just now or teenagers or whatever, but folks will be elders who are going to be involved, who are going to be on the re receiving end of that flack mm -hmm. also. They need to be willing to yeah. rebuke mm -hmm. and to hold the line. Yeah. 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 And also, we, when people come to uh, select or choose a new minister, and some of our church members now who are perhaps 20 or 23 years old, when they're 40 or 50, they'll be responsible people um, senior elders or whatever in their church and the church needs a new minister and they interview two or three or four people and they've got to ask some pretty penetrating mm. questions. Mm. They've got to press their questions in. They've got to ask serious questions. Now, mm. Mr. So-and-so, tell us about your relationship with alcohol, yep. your relationship with your wife. Are you thoroughly faithful mm. to her? Mm. Your relationship to the Bible, do you really believe that it's the word of God and are you prepared to preach it right as far as mm. your vision goes, to, to push the Bible as far as it goes? Yeah. Or are you going to, 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 to hang back on your Bible preaching because you're afraid that certain people are not going to like what you're saying? Mm. Yeah. So we have to push those questions to potential leaders in our churches. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, obviously, Titus, it, it wasn't just a private letter for Titus's eyes only. It's, it mm. ends with... It ends with grace be with you all, I think, does it? Yeah, it does. Grace be with you all. Use all, corporate plural. I, I think it's a corporate. In other, words, in other words, in other words, always intended, <laughs> I think. Edward's checking and I'm just going to keep talking. Um, always intended for an audience of people in the pews as well mm. as the preachers. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if we could just have a little think or... Um, get folks at home to begin thinking, well, what, what does it mean for me if that's the job of my minister? Well, yes. I mean, the folks at home need to understand uh, that the minister is under pressure. And when, when they do understand that, they will pray for him mm. and they will also talk to him from time to time. So they'll sidle up to him at the end of a service when they know he's had to face something hard in the week. And they'll say to him, Minister, well, mm. I'd probably call him Joe if his name's not Willie. <laughs> 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 I might call anyone at the Tron, Joe, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, yeah. But you'll sidle up to, up to him and say, are you okay? Yeah. I know you had that terribly difficult meeting on mm -hmm. Thursday. Have you survived all right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so they'll be conscious that the minister is under pressure. Mm -hmm. They'll be consci conscious that pressure is normal for ministers mm -hmm. because the minister is putting himself out there in the firing line of the devil and the devil's lies. So when the minister in preaching sermons is tackling the untruths that the world are throwing at the congregation, um, they, they know that it's going to be quite difficult for him. Mm. So they, they can get alongside him, befriend him, um, assure him of their prayers, and then make sure that they do actually yeah, pray for pray. him. Yeah. 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 I think as well, just remembering that when a rebuke is given, you know, some, you know, most of the time I take it you know rebukes like this would happen not not from the front <laughs> uh, but but you know out of the pulpit you know where the minister or the elder church leadership is, is helping the people of God obey the word of God that must happen for a church to grow and mature mm. but as well to remember that if that does happen remember what it says in verse 13 uh, so let me read it to you this te testimony is true therefore rebuke them sharply in context that's the the Cretans uh, rebuke those who need to be rebuked sharply that they may be sound in the faith 
and to remember that if a rebuke has been given, then that's always the the goal that's in view is to restore people. It's uh, helping people to repent and to turn, and it's a. So also, I want just a little thing. Sometimes, if you hear people in the, you know, who are Christians who've gone off the rails, uh, you know, they've maybe messed up big time in a maybe a public way or whatnot. The temptation is to forget about that. That it is possible for people to repent, and people need room to repent, and you know, be gracious and patient with people, give them time to turn. But also be gracious and patient with pastors who've who've done that, mm. uh, because that's why we're do, that's why we have, we have to do it mm. if we do do it. And final comment on that, Edward. Well, perhaps I can. It's not quite a comment on that, but I've got a little quotation here from the 17th century, which Please. might be might be interesting. Uh, a colleague of mine gave this to me many years ago. Um, and it's it's the words of a man called John Gary. I don't think he was he was well known, but it comes from a little booklet of his called "The Character of an Old English Puritan or Nonconformist." Anyway, he's talking about the minister here. Uh-huh. So this is the sort of person a minister needs to be: a man foursquare, immovable at all times, so that they who, in the midst of many opinions, have lost the view of true faith, may return to this man. And there find it. So the idea of this of the minister as being immovable mm. um, is, I think, so important. Mm. He's not, I mean, Paul, Paul says this himself, be steadfast, immovable, doesn't he, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. So to be, I mean, he's not talking to pastors there, but to the church. But it is the same for all of us, <coughs> that there's an immovability. But if the pastor can, can exemplify this, it will help the members of the congregation themselves to be immovable people. Mm. When the world is throwing all sorts of opinions at, at, at it, the congregation then is able to say, we're sticking here with the Bible. Well, great place to end. Let's take that to heart. Let's, mm. let's pray for immovability Definitely. in all those we know in ministry and, and in ourselves as well. Um, this Sunday coming, um, Edward, I think you're continuing with Titus, Titus chapter 2. Any sort of trailer for that? Yes, it's going to be the first part of Titus 2, the first 10 verses, where Paul interestingly differentiates between older men and younger men, older women and younger women. Normally his ethical teaching is Mm. for everybody without that differentiation, but but he picks up various characteristics and I guess temptations and pitfalls of different ages and stages of of the faith, and he's teaching how to live the Christian life in line with the gospel. Yeah. Mm behavior that flows out of yes, that true, true teaching right. yeah. Yeah. yeah and josh johnston uh, will be continuing with one john in the evening and he's going to be the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three so that we can read ahead so thank you very much for joining us for this and uh, we hope you might do so again next week yeah.